everyone, welcome to the Paw Awareness Podcast, and thanks for joining me. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, and also check us out at pawawareness.org and on Instagram at pawawareness underscore official. On Instagram, we are doing submissions for Pet of the Week, where you can submit your foster pet, and we'll pick one winner every month, and we'll give $200 to their choice of charity or foster. Thanks for watching, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Paul Ernest Podcast. Today, I'm bringing on Jane Sage, board president of the Street Cat Hub. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And I wanna go ahead and let you introduce yourself um, and what it is that Street Cat Hub does. Great, thank you. We are a trap new to return program. Um, we The organization itself was founded in 2014 and it was a follow-up to uh, best friends came in and did a, a pilot program here for three years from 2012 uh, through 2014 uh, with the expectation that the city of Albuquerque would take over on the trap new to return after they got us jump started, which was an incredible jump start and an incredible partnership. Um, then at that point, I formed Street Cat Hub to carry continue that that program. And uh, that, that program was initiated with the, with the city shelter. So it's a shelter-based TNR program. So we're doing all of the shelter returns when feral cats are taken in. And then we're also following up with going out into the field and trapping um, the neighborhoods where those cats are coming from. And you mentioned that you're in Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico. And what's the vicinity on that like? And, and Follow up to that, what are some kind of the issues that you guys are facing in the New Mexico area? Well, I think that Albuquerque itself within within city limits is pretty typical of most of the sort of southern southern cities where we don't have a very harsh winter. So we don't get much of a break from kitten season. We have probably three or four months where we can kind of trap without a whole lot of issues from like September through January. Um, and then um, you know, so so most of the kittens that are born in the winter will will still survive. Our winters are pretty mild here. Uh, it's, it's a pretty urban environment in city limits, but we also work um, outside of city limits in the county and some of the other areas. So we do get into some more rural areas and, and farmland and, you know, barn cat situations also. Interesting. Yeah. And, and what you mentioned that there is a break uh, during for kitten season and that's because there isn't much of a break and that's because of the weather, correct? Yeah, it seems like we get that, there's a few months in there where we don't have, we just don't see cats in heat. Very, very few nursing cats. Usually if they are nursing, they probably are indoor, outdoor, and we don't have to deal with the pregnancy issue with, with a lot of the clients either. So um, so that's kind of my favorite time of the year to trap is, is that, you know, early, late, late winter, early spring. Um, and then we, we trap pretty hard right up until uh, April 1st is when most of our kittens are born. So at, at this point, the majority of our kittens have been born. And you mentioned that it, this isn't just a TNR program. It's TNR with a shelter, right? So, uh, you know, I've, I've spoken with several, uh, you know, I've, I've spoken with several TNR programs and they're just TNR by themselves, they don't really have the rescue component. What does that look like in terms of how does that change things? And how many cats can you guys 
house, I guess, in at one given time? Uh, we probably can do, uh, we've handled between six, probably 80 is probably the maximum, but we probably don't hit that very often. Um, we're, we're, we have a facility outside of the shelter. So even though we're tied to the shelter, we have our own storefront and we're actually getting ready to, to get our own clinic up, up and running again also. Um, the shelter, the one, of the one of the best things about working directly with the shelter is it's really easy to find the cats. It's like all of their calls to 311 get referred to us. Anything with a free roaming cat, uh, we, we talk to them, we evaluate the situation, try to find out if it's an owned cat situation or if it is, you know, a feral or unowned cat situation that, that we should be helping with. Um, the, it, the shelter does provide some adoption space. We always try to get rescue groups to take our, our tame cats and kittens before they go to the shelter, but our, our shelter is also an incredible partner. They, they have reached a no-kill status and, and we feel very comfortable with taking uh, tame cats and kittens there. Um, it's just we try not to any more than we have to. Last year, uh, you know, partly due to, to COVID, we, we did build a, a really big adoption program, also foster and adoption program, which now that the other groups are kind of back up and running, we're gonna back off of that, mainly because we're the only ones that can do the TNR part of it and the adoption and foster part of it can be so time consuming and, and um, expensive. And so we're, we're gonna try to farm most of that out. Well, the, the one thing we try to handle is if we have feral moms with kittens, we, we will take some of those in just because a lot, of, a lot of other rescue groups aren't comfortable with ferals and we don't like handing those off to the city either. But, but this, the city partnership is, is huge because we've got their support. We've got the officers backing us. Um, you know, fluctuates a little depending on the management who's in there. We've had, you know, uh, good times and bad times, you know, with, with that, but, but overall that relationship is excellent. That's great. And yeah, partnerships are, partnerships are huge. And, and how long was it into what you guys, when you guys started to where you really started working on those partnerships? Is that immediately or did that take some time to kind of develop? That was something best friends developed by definition of them coming here. They chose us in San Antonio as those two initial programs. Um, so, and they required that that be tied to the shelter and they required the shelter cooperation. So um, that's cool. So okay. into it. And a lot, of, a lot of the programs are shelter based where they actually come from the shelter and the shelter clinics are doing the surgery and the cats are still coming through the shelter but ours has gotten where we're pretty much just subcontracted. We try to keep the cats out of the shelter as much as possible. They try to encourage people not to bring feral cats to the shelter. Um, citizens can, and we can still pick them up from the shelter. They usually fix them for us and then we'll do the returns. Um, but we, we try to avoid that just so the cats aren't tied up in a three day hold or just the exposure to you know, the, you know, the issues at the shelter, so. Okay. Um, and I know that you, you kind of touched on this and you, you mentioned during, you know, COVID and, and I know that for, uh, you know, dog, dog rescues were the, the shelters were empty, right? Or was it the same with cats Were as many people adopting cats during that time frame, uh, like were the, or was it, did you not really see that as much? It was, yeah, we did, a, we were able to do a lot of adoptions. I think our shelter did empty out. A lot of people were at home and willing to foster and a lot of people were looking 
to bring you know cats into their homes during that time. So, so since since we didn't always have clinics that were open where we could do the TNR surgeries, we kind of shifted and focused on those fosters and, and getting those kittens ready for adoption. And I mean, it went really well. I mean, we've had a few returns off of it, but I don't think any more than normal. So, okay, um, that's good to know. And I'm interested too, from your perspective, from what you've seen in your time, what do you think, do you see some common misconceptions when it comes to stray cats or anything along those lines, or just maybe some like problem issues that like, you know, just. I think the most common misconception is by the feeders themselves who, you know, they, they're feeding the cats, the cats are coming right up to them. Sometimes they can pet them while they're eating and they might even get really friendly with that feeder. Um, and probably the most common misconception is just that, you know, I've got this cat tame, can we get it into a home? And, you know, and, and it, where it really is just, you know, it's still a feral cat, it's only tamed to that feeder and it's not gonna do well in a, you know, in a cage situation. Um, it, it just takes a lot of work to get a cat from that stage to where it's comfortable moving inside and moving into an, an actual home. So I think just that expectation that, you know, we're going to be able to find nice homes for, for all of them and just kind of, you know, informing people that they, they're really better off going back where sometimes the resources just aren't there to, to find them homes at that time. And once we get into July, August and things, you know, the kittens start to back up again, it's just, you just don't want to be pulling as many of the cats you know that are shy out of the field but in the winter when we can we try to do it as much as possible okay that makes sense and what about i'm curious too right with the people that adopt cats maybe some people already have a cat and and this is me right i have one cat and do you have any advice for someone who might have one cat but they're thinking about adopting another cat do you have any um, advice or help when it comes to that issue? Yeah, I'm not the best person to answer that because I don't, I'm not on the front end of adoptions. I know a lot of times if we're doing kittens, we try to adopt two at the same time. Oh, so nice. probably if you have an adult cat and the, and the adult cat is kind of past that playful stage, it might be a good idea to bring, you know, if you're going to bring a kitten in, it might be good to just bring it a playmate also, and they'll kind of keep themselves entertained and kind of leave that open for the adult whether they want to join in on that or not rather than forcing them to engage with a kitten but yeah that's kind of been my thing I've just been trying to think you know um how to do that but I'll keep you know keep asking and and um yeah trying to figure that out with my cat yeah, I think the two female thing is probably the most the most unlikely combination to work so if, if you've got a female probably a male is, okay. is the better better bet but yeah, two males usually usually can work it out. Okay, all right, I'll keep that in mind. And um, what about like what are some things that you, you guys are working on at Street Cat Hub that you're excited about, or maybe not even going into this year, but the following year? What are some things that you guys are working on over there? We're really trying to get more community outreach, especially coming you know coming you know hopefully out of the pandemic situation you know i mean we want people coming into our facility as soon as that's reasonable um, we want people coming in and seeing what we do and, and we want to engage people in doing their own trapping and and using the traps themselves but we also want to 
really build. We want to get a, a second band going and really increase our volunteers and, and really get out in the field and work with people on the trapping so that they've got some assistance. So, so we, we try to get people to do as much of the trapping as possible. But if we have more people that can go out and get them started, you know, then you know, that we can kind of survey the situation too and, and see what kind of quirks there are and kind of talk people through it. Um, but I, I'd say getting out into the field more. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's just getting out, you know, now that things are starting to open back up, just getting out making those connections and, you know, building that outreach, I think is important for any organization for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of, I mean, we were able to do a lot. I mean, we, we weren't really kept from trapping very much during this. It was more just whether we had clinics open to do the surgeries or not. So, um, yeah, it's just, I just, it just, when you get out in the field, you see a lot more, the neighborhood sees the van and you get a lot more people coming up to talk to you about their own cats and, you know, and, and other cats that they're seeing. And I saw that on your, on the website, I believe is where I saw it. You guys service uh, anywhere between three and 4,000 cats annually. And I think that's really impressive. And one of the things I wanted to ask you in particular was, was what are some things that you guys do well that has kind of allowed you to see some of the success you've seen, you know, being in the space for, you know, over half a decade, it's what are some things that you think you guys do really well? Yeah, I think I think one of the most effective things we do, it's, it's sort of a form of targeted trapping. Um, targeted trapping usually refers to staying in a particular zip code and you know, focusing all your resources in one area before you move on to another area. But I, I look at it more as when you get into an area, like you've got somebody that's feeding the cats to really try to get everything you can at that site while you're there. So, and, and that's where there's a big advantage to us being out there with that person. Cause if somebody's feeding and they think they're feeding nine or 10 cats and those are kind of, you know, their cats, although they're not really their cats, but that's who they identify as their group. But, but then they leave dry food down all night. So, you know, if we're out there and we're setting traps and staying out there for two or three days and really trying to clean up the area, we're, we're real likely to walk out of there with double what they think they have. So, you know, and, and it's, it's, those are the kinds of things that we might recognize if we're out there where it's like, wow, these are all coming from the neighbor behind and to the right. It's like, I wonder if they put food down too, you know, and sometimes we can identify a second feeder that might be interfering with the trapping and get traps set a second place. So, so it's really being very thorough and getting everybody all at once. And that's where, you know, if we can get 15, 20 traps in there, instead of that resident picking up two traps from us and bringing two cats in at a time, it's much more effective as far as the cats not learning the traps and developing a trap aversion because it just kind of all happens very quickly. They're hungry, there's traps everywhere with food in and it's, it's a lot easier to get everybody. Yeah, I really like that thoroughness and kind of like the whole adage, I think it goes, you know, the man who tries to catch two rabbit, two rabbits catches none. You're mm -hmm. out here just super thorough, focused and, um, I think that's great advice. It makes sense. So yeah, it really makes a big difference. And we might be in the same neighborhood the next year and we remember that we were there, but we may have another colony that's backing right up to there. So, you know, it's, it takes, it might take a couple of years to get a whole area, you know, that's this real infiltrated to under control, but you know, it, it does add up and, you know, we just, I mean, there's, 
a lot of places I drive by that I've just never heard from again, you know, and other places you trap and you go back two years later and it's a completely different 20 cats. So I don't know what the difference is. But yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that long population can drone. Sometimes you don't. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes the long-term approach isn't bad too. It's just, you know, um, that's great though. That's good to know. And um, I wanted to ask you too, where can people find you guys at? I know that you guys have an online presence. Um, where can they reach out if they want to help support volunteer possibly? What does that look like? Yeah, streetcathub.org is our is our website, and we've got um, a place to donate there. We've got a place for volunteers, which can be in town or out of town. I think we have you know things that we can do remotely also. Um, we're on Instagram, we're on uh, Facebook, probably Instagram is where we're most active. We've been dabbling with TikTok lately. So we've got some TikTok stuff. I imagine it would come up under street cat hub. I'm not exactly sure what our handles are, but, um, but I, they, they should come up pretty readily under street cat hub, but Instagram is probably the biggest one we're, we're active on right now. And I'll have all of those in the description below on whatever medium, uh, our guests are listening on, feel free to check them out. Um, everything will be down there. Yeah. Give, give these guys, uh, some likes, uh, definitely love what they're doing. Jane, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot about trapping and just the whole situation in New Mexico. You're the first guest I've ever got to speak with that's been in New Mexico. So, and with your issues. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Great. Thank you for inviting me.